You are listening to The Psychology Godfather, a podcast you cannot refuse. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's George, and I want to start off today's podcast talking about Hurricane Irma, which hit us here in Jacksonville Beach in Jacksonville, Florida, on September 11th of all days. So go figure that one out. I guess uh, maybe we need to become more superstitious of that date. I'm not sure. Uh, Today's date is September 20th, so it's been about nine days ago. And the devastation that this hurricane has had on the southeastern United States and um, talking more specifically about my city in Jacksonville Beach and Jacksonville, St. Augustine, surrounding areas. It's really massive. There's been a lot of down trees, um, down signs, flooding, etc. Uh, the day after it hit us, I have a lifted Jeep, which I um, am a little bit addicted to, I guess. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy off-roading and that sort of thing. I've got a winch and the whole nine yards. But I rode around seeing if anybody might need aid or, or rescue. And even with a lifted Jeep with 33-inch tires, um, it was you know pretty significant, the depth of the, of the flooding. And I, put, I believe I put a picture of that on Twitter. I'm not sure, but I think I did. Anyways, um, we are fortunate in that uh, we have a Honda generator, which is not a big one, but uh, big enough to power a few utilities so I could make coffee in the morning. Yeah, thank God for coffee. I love it. Coffeeaholic here. Uh, and, you know, run a few fans, a TV, things like that. So it made... It made the loss of power more bearable. We lost power for three and a half days. Um, and the heat index in Jacksonville is a very humid climate. It was in the, you know, easily into the lower 90s. Um, so fast forward to Saturday, I go out for a run with with a group of friends Um on the river side of town, because we have a, a large river that runs through the downtown of Jacksonville, the St. John's River. And my gosh, the debris I saw, the flooding, the streets still closed, um, you know, mattresses, evacuated apartments, obviously sewage and God knows what in the water out there, uh, bacteria, hepatitis, um, you know, not not a fun, not a fun sight. I felt really bad for those people. I saw a car that, uh, obviously, an oak tree had f- fallen on it, and the, you could see from the impact, the front windshield was blown out, and the car was, you know, completely destroyed. I I've sensed a feeling of kind of an emotional stress and kind of a recovery mood on the pulse of. The people I talk to, um, not only in therapy, but uh, in my personal life, just from the toll this has taken on us all. And I'd like to give a big shout out to the the JEA and the Florida Power Light 
companies for, and obviously the rescue personnel for their massive efforts and working around the clock to help people out, you know, especially the elderly and less able-bodied people that, uh, you know, need that help. Uh, so there's now, which I hate to bring it up, but who knows, Maria, which is a threat, I think currently to Puerto Rico, uh, category four hurricane. Not quite sure of the track it's taking, although, um, knock on wood, it won't, it'll turn around and leave everyone alone, but, uh, got our eyes on that one. So today's podcast, I will actually, I interviewed Dr. Medina, who is a licensed physician and also has studied at Harvard University um, Eastern Acupuncture. And I, I went to her house Saturday, the day after that, that run. And she actually lives uh, by the river, I might add. But uh, anyway. And we go through a, a live demonstration of acupuncture that she performs on... Um, a volunteer and so we we do that and then we have a discussion about kind of eastern medicine holistic medicine the psychology you know related to the healing arts compared to traditional research-based medicine and i think you'll find that interesting i really enjoyed meeting her she's awesome person um and so stay tuned for that and uh, enjoy. All right. Well, I'm here with Dr. Medina, and she's going to demonstrate a procedure called acupuncture. Dr. Medina, can you tell us about the process and what's going to happen in our session today? All right. Um, Acupuncture looks at medicine and the body healing in a different manner than... Western medicine, instead of looking at the body in chunks as in organs, muscles, bones, and supporting structures, you look at it as each cell has the ability to heal, and how do you get those cells to communicate and heal better? Um, so with acupuncture, I'm still a student, so you know, um, and the way I trained was at Harvard with the Japanese palpation-based Um, but it was based on Chinese acupuncture methods. So um, what I start off with is I I check the pulse with three fingers. Each finger goes a little deeper. What I'm checking is the rate of the pulse, the rhythm of the pulse, and the nature of the pulse, whether it's pecking, bounding, does it progress well, those types of things. Because later on, um, if I do a Shaoyang or pericardium treatment, depending on what the pulse is, how you treat. So So as you're doing the process, you will be reassessing the pulse during the procedure to see how the patient's reacting, or is that more towards the end? Um, Typically, it's during. There are some lines that you do. And you don't place the needle unless you feel a variation of the pulse when putting pressure on the point, um, the reflection point. 
Okay, so doing this, you're using your own fingers to, as a physician to feel the patient's pulse. Uh, with acupuncture, why would you not, and I guess this may lead into maybe your interest in this field, use some sort of um, pulse meter or a blood pressure monitor or that sort of thing? What, you know, the traditional scientific way of measuring that versus the subjective way of you, you know, using your hand. Um, actually, if you look for it, there are electronic means of doing many of the things that I do manually today. Um, they have progressed from, um, where we looked at the tongue, we felt the pulse, and that was what we based the entire treatment on, to now there are mechanisms that can tell you closer where a acupuncture point may be. Um, they've done research with fMRIs as well as ultrasounds um, to look into this. However, uh, since I'm just starting, uh, I wanted to try the traditional methods versus the electronic methods. Um, it's a blood pressure point and an insomnia point, and that's an oil for that. So I don't know how to put that on a podcast, though. It's okay. The, the, the viewer, the listeners can use the visual part of the cerebral cortex to think about what it would look like, maybe. <laughs> you can strike all that out. I can yeah. So I'm just, I'm just um, you know, uh, her feet are a little bit cold, which means I may use a little moxa um, because you want to do acupuncture on a warm uh, appendage, so to speak, um, because the chi flows better. Um and I know that as it is her first session and as we're recording, she may be a little bit more uh, stressed, even if she's not stressed and doesn't show it because she's a hero. The patients speak much or were they generally just kind of relax and let you do your job? Generally, they just relax. Um, and when I ask them whether one point takes pressure off of another point, they let me know. Um, however, if I'm doing it on someone who doesn't speak English, um, I can still do it. We're going to censor this part out, folks. <laughs> Hello. How do, feel, how do you feel, patient? I feel fabulous. Okay. All right. It's already working. So, um, the first part, with, with Japanese-based palpation acupuncture, I'm going to just call it ISA is what it's called. Um, you first evaluate the hara. You evaluate for temperature of the chest, of the stomach, and of the pelvis the, uh, in temperature variations that are not as expected. And you're using your palm to feel the, those areas now? My palm and fingers, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you progress to the hara. The hara um, is sort of the center of uh, a a Asian medicine in the fact that it's, if the hara is released, it's believed that the body will have a better potential to heal. So first I press in the oketsu region, which at this point I can't remember what oketsu stands for, but it's the first point you press. 
that looks like the area where a patient would have a hernia operation or such. Is that close for a layperson kind of near that area? Similar. So in, um, is this tender or uncomfortable Indian burn or anything? It feels very soft. So in Chinese medicine, you use sun measurements. Three sun are the measurements from four knuckles of the patient. So you measure your hand compared to their hand, approximate, and then you press its three sun away from the midline on the left side. Um, and then you've had an operation. I never had an operation. This is just a... All right, I'm new to podcasting, so that's your official beep. And so I learned how to figure that out. So that's that. Uh, Some surgeries do that, so I wasn't sure. Because um, scars are very important in acupuncture because you can have surgery and you can have your gallbladder out and still have your gallbladder meridian. It is the source of energy, not the end organ that we're talking about when we talk about the immune or adrenal regions. So when I was asking about the scar, it's because if there was an abdominal scar, it would have uh, affected the meridians. The meridians typically run from the head uh, 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 up and down, so from the head to the feet or from the feet to the head, Um, And many of them cross the abdomen. So women who have had C-sections or other abdominal surgeries, you have to be more sensitive because their meridians may be slightly off from the meridian um, that would be in an uncut belly. So the next place I'm going to press is the immune. Any discomfort, anything like that? No. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to do the adrenal, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's around the belly button area. So the adrenal region, when you, um, so a lot of females that I work on, a lot of women, professional women that I work with, have what we call adrenal exhaustion. Um, because they go, go, go at work, they go, go, go at home, and then they go to sleep, and then they wake up and go, go, go again. And they just never get that relaxation in and so a lot of them the kidney 16 area which is right next to the belly button um, and you do it on both sides so the left kidney 16 area is positive and the right kidney 16 area is more positive when you say 16 area is that that's the point that's the point yes so it makes sense so now i'm going to since the kidney if your kidney 16 is positive then you check the ASIS, uh, the fire point on the kidney channel, which is kidney two, uh, the DIMI, which is gallbladder 26, and stomach nine. Uh, you'll notice that none of these points that I press are anywhere near the Western organs that we discuss or that we think of when we traditionally think of kidneys, adrenals, or anything else. Um, but in the end, it really does seem to... Um, help. How many years of history has this been performed, this acupuncture? How far back does it go in history? Thousands of years ago, you had the acupuncture that was widely uh, used um, with herbal remedies and those types of things in uh, Asian society. Um, However, one emperor as a child had a lot of acupuncture done and was 
per this one story, he, um, when he became a, a ruler, he diminished the importance of acupuncture in Chinese medicine. Um, so that's when they went into other things, um, such as herbology a lot more. Um, and then by the uh, 18 and 1900s, um, if you were an uh, elite Asian person, you would uh, have herbology done, those types of uh, medicinal help. If you were a worker and didn't have the funds for that, that's when you went to the backdoor acupuncturist. So it was a dying art because it was not looked upon with great favor. It was looked upon sort of as um, as mythical. Um, and, but when the communists started coming with the Asians uh, into the Asian territories, um, this was what was unique, and um, that is where the... Um, integration of acupuncture became uh, more centralized in medical schools in Asian countries as they were differing themselves from Western countries and Western medicine. Um, So it was in the 70s, it was rejuvenated and um, one of Nixon's um, aides was over in China had appendicitis, they didn't have anesthesia, they did acupuncture, took out his appendix, he was fine through the whole procedure, and that's when Americans started to become interested in acupuncture, and more uh, acupuncture literature literature started getting translated into English. Um, And so, you know, from those literatures and other things, now we have TENS units, um, pressure points, the massage tables that uh, chiropractors use, most of those are based on acupuncture theory and meridians. Uh, do you have any comments, ma'am? <laughs> no. It's funny to talk about it. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because we're, you're doing a procedure that, and the people can't see. Uh-huh. It would be really fun to do it on video. but um, The fact that the kidney two-point is not irritated means that the whole channel isn't irritated, so we won't do the whole channel. We'll just do parts of the kidney channel. So again, I'm pushing at the foot, however. I'm pushing at the internal or the medial aspect of the ankle, so the inside of the ankle down near the sole of the foot, and I'm calling it kidney two because in uh, Asian culture, that's the kidney meridian. Would a tattoo on the skin affect any of this procedure? Um, that's a good question. Um, tattoos, uh, depending, is that painful? I feel something. It's not mm-hmm. painful, but it's something different. Yeah. So, right. Describe the feeling. It's hard to describe the feeling. It's hard to describe. I've okay. had done, and it's like you feel it. Like you don't know how, you can't put, you can't verbalize what it feels like Correct. at all? No. A feeling you've never had before. Yeah. Like no feeling versus, oh, yeah, that's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Is this in your way? So you're doing a diagnosis based on these points, and then after the diagnosis you'll be able to know where to put the needles? Correct. Uh, so um, the reflection points that are positive will direct me later uh, which acupuncture points will be active, um, and 
if I press on the acupuncture points and the reflective points are no longer painful, then I've hit the point. If I haven't, then I don't put the needle in because it's not active. No. Got to be good at knowing the right and left, huh? When you're standing above the patient. Yes. Left is right, left, right is left. Yes. Um, so, is this? No. Okay. I'm pressing on the right scalenius, no. and it isn't tender. That's around the shoulder. The shoulder has a lot of different points that we look at. It has the stomach nines, which she was positive for the left stomach nine, which is on the left side of the thyroid. Um, she was negative for scalenius pressure. Um, any pain if I push right here no. or right here? No. Negative for gallbladder 20, which is at the top of the shoulders. Any pain here? No. And, the, and this is one of those times where I'm feeling this uh, sternocleidomastoid muscle. And... The patient doesn't always feel pain with it, but the right SCM, the right sternocleidomastoid, is a little bit more tense than the left side. What that means, I'm not sure yet. A lot of these points, after you do the diagnosis and you start the initial treatment, some of the points will take care of themselves, some of the points um, stay, and so we have the first phase where I put in and we let it sit for 20 minutes. We take them out, and then I do the second phase on the front if we need to. Um, and then it's another 10, 15 minutes, and then So um, I'm not feeling any liver deficiency at this point, I'm feeling, ironically, the liver deficiency points are around the liver, but that's the only organ that ever seems to correlate. So she has a good liver. She can take a lot more Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, once a student becomes more advanced, in acupuncture, all of these numbers come straight from their head. For instance, Oketsu is um, liver four, lung five, are the points you use to treat Oketsu. You use large intestine 10 to 11 to treat immune. Um, so each of these points have a different relief point. However, because there's so many points for me to keep them um, organized at this point, I write down the points, and then I go to my little cheat sheet, and I write down what the treatment points would be, and then decide from there how to proceed to place the needles. So you're correlating the data with the, with, that you've got from the patient with your, what we, the procedure you just did. I didn't hear that you did an oral history, you know, with Western, I guess, medicine, you know, what's bothering you or you have an anxiety, 
having uh, pain? Are you, is that not incorporated as much into this practice? In, uh, if you don't do palpation-based, yes, you do a lot bigger history. If you do palpation-based, however, um, for instance, I asked for the patient to be wearing a, a loose shirt and shorts so I could see any scars. I didn't see any scars that would tell me gallbladder or any other issues, so I knew that I was dealing with a basically healthy young female. Um, and other than that, no, it doesn't. Uh, if you're doing palpation-based. Now, if you're not doing palpation-based, they do rely more on history, tongue examination, that sort of thing. Um, So if I want to stop smoking and I'm going to an acupuncturist, Mm -hmm. would you do these same procedures? Um, If I was going to be doing someone who wanted to stop smoking, yes, actually, I would. I always start off with the HARA because the HARA uh, helps the body heal itself. And so some of those things, when I get around to those points, have self-treated or are better. Um, So, for instance, the ear points are what we use a lot with stopping smoking, Um, and if you just go straight for the ear point, it may be a little bit more uncomfortable than if you release the hara and allow the chi to flow. Very good. Uh, I'll try not to interrupt you too much. Tell me if I'm... Nope. I wish I... I tried it, and you're like just slipping and sliding on their legs, and you're like... I'm sorry, I was shaving my legs this morning, so... So you just shaved your legs, ma'am? No, I did not. That's just what I'm apologizing for. Gabby was going to be on the table and, and was not prepared. So you have to get a pedicure later, so that's why I shaved. <laughs> well, I just shaved my legs. You want to do me next? Um, did you bring any cheesecake? <laughs> I brought champagne and grapes. No. no. no, no. Strawberries? No. Okay. So kidney nine. Is this softer for you? Okay. So... Now, I have her toes covered up because uh, with kidney two, I'm going to be going to kidney three. And um, Now, what gauge are those needles, doctor? 18 by 30. 18 by 30. So that's super, super small. Very tiny. They're tinier uh, than the Botox needles that I've used on people. So you're inserting the needle into a uh, cylinder? Yeah, into a cylinder, a loading cylinder. And then um, with that same hand, I press where kidney nine would be. And then I press and make sure it still feels soft at the ASIS. And then I press the tube and tap in the needle. That was quick. Oh, one, two, three. There's a nice little, (laughs) I need to take some pictures of this to post uh, on the podcast, but there's a nice looking needle there hanging out of her uh, left, I guess. Her left kidney nine, which is right below the gastric nemius on the medial side. Now for the left gallbladder 26, I'll be doing gallbladder uh, kidney seven, which is where the soleus comes up on the inside of the leg as well. And these are the main points, but after I enter these points, I'll enter kidney 27, which is a helper point that uh, will alleviate uh, 
the discomfort you feel even more from pushing on the reflection points. So I'm pushing her gallbladder 26 by her side. As you're pressing on the point. As I'm pressing on kidney 7. Does that hurt? No. Okay. So you need like long arms to do this if you have a very, very tall patient. Uh, I have been. I'm a five-foot doctor. Yes, I've been in that situation, and I have the patient bend their feet or bend their knees and you'll see when I do stomach nine and kidney three how I do it. Um, so I place the needle and then tap it in. Did you feel that one? No. Um, so There's blood everywhere. I'm I know. So left kidney three. Um, How you feeling, patient? Fine. Very relaxed. Any other thoughts for our podcast listeners out there? And what led you to, to going to see a chiropractor, and specifically Dr. Medina? Well, first of all, she's not a chiropractor. Oh, strike that. So how are you feeling, patient? I feel great. Very relaxed. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I have word salad of the brain. I don't know. It's some sort of uh, mouth disease or whatever it is. I don't know. It's I, I don't know why. I, you know, I've done that several times. I thought I, I, it's not a chiropractor. This is much more advanced. It's different. I never well, say things are advanced. I say it's different. Now, I won't put this on the air, but do you have to have like a medical license to do, or some sort of... You have some, to have a license. So I decided to leave the mess-ups on there because I think as human beings, we're all voyeuristic, and I think it would be more entertaining that way. And if you happen to be a chiropractor, it was a complete 40 and slip, so no disrespect. So um, if you don't like it, then you can get your money back. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't pay anything. This is free. Kidneys? Okay. So... For your previous question, yes, you have to have an acupuncture license to practice acupuncture. The course I did um, was for physicians, so it was an abbreviated one-year course. Um, And we had over 300 contact hours uh, during training. But... um, One year is abbreviated? Yes. Okay, roger that. It's kind of like when you learn to write and you can write your name, you can write, but can you write an Emily Post comment section? I forget my points, and I have my little point verification. Cool. Now, is that um, an app? This is an app to help me remember when I'm nervous. Where where the points are. Uh Uh-huh. Century you know, I know you're a good doctor because most doctors would would not admit to being nervous. So you actually, uh, you know, the, the ability to be nervous is diagnostic of a good person. Well, so take that as an enormous compliment. So, um, thank you very much. You're very welcome. So what I'm do... What's wrong? No, you rolled your eyes. No, I didn't. Oh. Sorry. Okay, so I'm pressing on kidney three. So when I have a tall person, such as your wife, I, um, all five foot three of her, 
I have them bend their knees and so I can feel the reflection point while pressing the point. Is that better? Softer? I always wanted to be a doctor's assistant. <laughs> it's not that glorious. Well, I've heard sometimes they get scalpels thrown at them. Uh, in my contract, I'm not allowed to throw scalpels. <laughs> we have 50-page contracts now. I actually did treat a physician that um, got in trouble for throwing scalpels. Physicians are human, too. We have emotions, and people don't appreciate sure. that they annoy us. I mean, that you... <laughs> I'll take that part off. I won't put that on there. Oh, I lost my blanket on my foot. That's fine. Okay. Can you put it back on? Uh, if you want to, yes, that'd be nice. I'm not going to touch your needles. Can you feel the needles? No. When the needles are placed? The needles are so tiny. Um, even with the needles, for instance, when I was having my first set of acupuncture at Harvard, um, that feels softer. So I'm going for kidney 27 right now. It's the last point I do because it works so well and that sometimes when I ask a person, all oh, right, is your ASIS still painful? And I push, they're like, well, it's relieved. But it isn't relieved completely. And so the other kidney points are more sensitive if I leave the kidney 27 out and then uh, wrap up by doing kidney 27. Well, these needles are flexible, so um, yes, you can sit up, go to the bathroom and whatever, and walk around with these needles in. Whether you want to or not, personally, I'm a little bit scared of needles in me. I'm not scared of needles in other people, so when I have acupuncture, I sit still, but other people will move around. Now, at this point, you have one, two, three, four needles in the... In and Nicole, mm-hmm. did that one hurt? The one she just put in towards your this torso, one, this one a the starboard side. I don't, I don't even know. Terms, Sadly enough, I was a coxswain for men's crew, and I still get <laughs> starboard in. Yeah, I, I get it all mixed up. I couldn't tell then. I can't tell now. So I'm pressing on the kidney too. The kidney two was the reflection point where it was painful that told me that it was activated. Kidney seven is going to be the relief point. It's on the inner uh, calf along the kidney channel. So does that mean I have kidney issues? It does not mean you have kidney issues. In Chinese medicine, we think more uh, kidneys more of with anemia. So um, 4,000 years or several thousand years ago, they knew that kidneys affected anemia, and Western medicine didn't figure that out until about 20, 30 years ago when they found out about the hormone hematopoietin or the, um, the hormone that the kidneys secrete to encourage bone marrow. Interesting because I believe the patient is on her menstrual cycle at this point. Ooh, spleen nine would be painful. I'll st- <laughs> very observant. Very. Hey, my husband's observant too. I have I have twenty eye crush eyeshadows from Kat Von D, and there was one I was missing, 
and I was at Sephora with my husband, and I was like, oh, what is the color I was missing? And he picked it up and said, it's this one, honey. And every girl turned in the store. Apparently, it's not common for men to know. Okay, so kidney nine. Uh, He sounds like a keeper. He's definitely a keeper. Your makeup obsession. I call it, maybe it's not an obsession, your makeup interest. We'll do our next episode on makeup hoarding, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I love makeup. So when I was younger, I enjoyed painting. Um, When I was in college, I did some oil painting. And um, when I had kids, I stopped doing all of that, got serious, got a job, everything else. So... um, my husband, version 2.0, um, bigger, better, said, what do you do for you? And I said, well, I go caving. He said, no, that's for your older son. I said, I go kayaking. That's for your other son. You do this for your mom. I had done nothing for myself. And he said, you like art? Why not makeup? You like makeup. So he started me on makeup collection, and now I own just about every palette from Too Faced and Kat Von D. And Urban Decay. Do you know what those makeups are? Yes. But the girls would know even better than me. My girls. Your girls. I recommend Bare uh, Essentials. <laughs> Bare Essential only if you're really, really pale. Because it doesn't, it doesn't work well with women of pigment. Yes. That's my professional opinion. So you're going down your list of points, and you're at, are you at the, let's see, this is a patient's G2? So we did left gallbladder 26, uh, this is right side first. Okay. So um, the right kidney 2, we did the right kidney 7, 10 to treat, and then the right ASIS, we I'm uh we had kidney nine in. I'm going to go up to kidney twenty seven and see if I can release ASIS a little bit more. And no, I don't know what ASIS means. I forgot. <laughs> Anterior something something something. Iliac something. But it's right here. So I'm pressing on the hip. This one's a little difficult for me. Nope, you're fine. You're fine. Um, okay. That feels softer to me. Does it feel better to you? Feels fine. Do you remember the earlier when it was feeling like a you you, you jumped? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. So you're noticing a change. Uh huh. It softened up for me. Um, so that's where the palpation comes in for me, is that sometimes the patient doesn't remember. Um, hold on one second. Get that. Answer. Is that the doctor's phone? Answer her phone. No, I'm sure you Yeah, you say this is Dr. Medina's phone. <laughs> Dr. Gunky. How's, how's the song? Gunky. 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 Is that from the 80s, I think? Yeah. <laughs> 
So at this point, you've removed the needles and you've turned the patient over and she's facing down. And describe for us what this part of the procedure is about. So um, typically, I concentrate a lot on the front of the patient. Even if they have back pain, I concentrate on the front because if you treat the horror properly, the body can start to heal. Um, however, uh, the, you have them turn over and you find other points, like for instance, they say the sugar points are on the back, um, and, and no, it doesn't keep you away from sugar. I'm sorry. But if you have a predisposition for diabetes, such as my husband, um, his hemoglobin A1C is usually 6.1, 6.2. Um, even though he exercises and eats correctly, however, since we've been doing the acupuncture, his hemoglobin A1C is between 5.5 and 5.6, which is a lot better for diabetes, which means he doesn't have to be on diabetes meds. Why? I don't know. But it worked, and so I'm continuing. So, What is a normal... Uh Measurement of the HA1C? Hemoglobin A1C, you want in the fives, like 5.4 around that area. So sixes, you're starting to look at the patient with a cross face and say, shame on you, stop it. Um, But truly, some patients just don't metabolize carbohydrates like other patients and do everything right. It's just their genetics are wrong. Um, And their cells, that's what their cells do. So that's why medicines came out, was to help the cells better accommodate carbohydrates. Um, We now use it for um, people of all sizes and eating habits. But um, originally it was geared towards those patients who genetically were predisposed to having heart attacks and other things from diabetes. So at this point, you've removed the needles and you've turned the patient over and she's facing down and describe for us what this part of the procedure is about. So um, typically, I concentrate a lot on the front of the patient. Even if they have back pain, I concentrate on the front because if you treat the horror properly, the body can start to heal. Um, however, uh, the, you have them turn over and you find other points. Like for instance, they say the sugar points are on the back, um, and. and No, it doesn't keep you away from sugar. I'm sorry. But if you have a predisposition for diabetes, such as my husband, um, his hemoglobin A1C is usually 6.1, 6.2, even though he exercises and eats correctly. However, since we've been doing the acupuncture, his hemoglobin A1C is between 5.5 and 5.6, which is a lot better for diabetes, which means he doesn't have to be on diabetes meds. Why? I don't know. But... It worked, and so I'm continuing. So, What is a normal uh, measurement of the HA1C? Hemoglobin A1C, you want in the fives, like 5.4 around that area. So sixes, you're starting to look at the patient with a cross face and say, shame on you, stop it. Um, But truly, some patients just don't metabolize carbohydrates like other patients, and do everything right, it's just their genetics are wrong. Um, And their cells, that's what their cells do. So that's why medicines came out, was to help the cells better accommodate carbohydrates. Um, We now use it for um, people of all sizes and eating habits. But um, originally it was geared towards 
those patients who genetically were predisposed to having heart attacks and other things from diabetes. So my hands are cold, sorry. From traditional medicine, we were talking about kind of the history of acupuncture and what kind of made you change gears with your career. Well, ironically, I was not interested in medicine, even though I had cancer as a kid. I was interested in history. My dad was often stationed in other countries, and we got to see the Etruscans, the Roman ruins, and all the rest. So that's what I was interested in. Um, However, I started working with children with special needs, helping translating in Spanish for the American doctors that would go go down to Panama. Um, And... So while studying to become a teacher at a local university, um, my organic chemistry professor said, you know, you really should think about medicine. I said, "Ah, I'm Hispanic, you don't do that. I'm a female, you have families. So um, after another little while of that, I finally went to med school. And I really enjoyed the science, but I enjoy the history and the purpose of medicine. It's not just the science, but the purpose is to help people develop into something that they might not have. Um, So I have a special needs son um, who has language, speech delay, taxi, a few other things. Unfortunately, he's still scared of needles. But um, the medicines that they use to treat him, the side effects were worse um, in some instances than um, the recovery. So I wanted to find something else maybe to um, augment his treatment with medications. And um, acupuncture, my friend had done acupuncture for a few years and told me about this course at Harvard. So um, I looked into it and last year started studying. Um, my other son likes it. He plays football and he's... Uh, not very flexible. He's still not very flexible, but he f- feels better after he gets his acupuncture. So, you know, box, if you know what I mean. I am going to be a doc in the box for the next 10 years, though. <laughs> I thought you were going to I thought I'm going I, into urgent care. Oh, you are? I thought you were kind of turned off by that and you were kind of wanting to do more. I do want to do more, the, the, more of this, but you can't afford, as one of my teachers in high school said, and one of my teachers in high school told me, if you can't uh, afford to do what you like, do something else well enough to where you can pay to do what you like. So this um, medicine can pay my electricity, can pay my children's uh, uh, education bills and such, but um, um, acupuncture at this point is not a lucrative uh, industry in the States because it's not reimbursed by a most uh, major uh, insurance is like Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. So if they say um, it isn't paid for, people say, well, why should we pay for it? Um, however, it's ironic that if you go to most fertility specialists, um, part of getting your fertility treatment partially paid for is acupuncture therapy. They don't pay for the acupuncture therapy, but if you get the acupuncture therapy, for some reason, uh, the rate is uh, or it is less expensive to have the fertility treatment. So as a clinician, do you feel like you work for the insurance companies or do you feel like you work for the patients? That's a hard question. Reality is, as a physician, the way the system is set up, I am 
a glorified employee of the major hospital systems and insurance companies. However, I've never been good at just following orders, and um, which is why I've struggled to figure out where exactly I belong in medicine. And that must be what's led you down this road, I think. And I won't, yeah, I'll strike that from the record, but it sounds like that's mm-hmm. what kind of got you mm-hmm. interested in this. This is yeah. something that insurance companies don't have a part of yet, so they don't tell me I have to document a review of symptoms. Doctor, now you don't have to answer that. I know this will get you in trouble with the Board of Medicine. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Ask. Do you think insurance companies care about their patients' health, or not their patients, strike that? Do you think insurance companies care about their customers' health, or do you think they're more concerned about making profit and money? I uh, think it's a mixed bag. I think there are some in uh, biz or in uh, insurance that are interested in the patient's well-being. However, I think a large part of it is profit. Otherwise, why would the major CEOs be taking home millions of dollars that come from the premiums paid by insurance from the people? If it was only for the people's welfare, they would reinvest the premiums back into the person's health care to provide them with better health care. Which is what Medicare is supposed to do, is the government have some, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent here, but isn't the government supposed to... Possibly. Isn't the government supposed to be regulating that, though? Isn't that what Medicare is? In other words, the government sets the reimbursement rate, so it all all roads lead to that. Medicare is as crooked as Blue Cross. So our government... Oh, Blip, yes. Okay. I don't want to go off too much of a tangent. Um, you're yeah. actually, you're done, sweetie. I hate do you mean, do, do you mean? Your back points, you did, um, she didn't have any sugar points that were positive. Her four corners were good. Um, her ihikan was good. The, um, the, uh, everything, the Look lumbar good. looked good, felt good, so. Awesome, thank you so much. Uh, um, Nicole, do you have any comments you want to? share about your experience going through this um, process and being a, what's the proper term for the subject or the? Uh, I guess the proper term would be patient. Um, However, I was taught by my mother that you treat patients like family. So to me, I haven't met a patient who wasn't a friend or a family. So So as a friend, how, how did it feel? It was very pleasant, no discomfort whatsoever, relaxing. Would you do it again? Sure. Would you recommend it? Sure. Why not? So how can people get in touch with you, Dr. Medina, um, if they want to? Are you on Twitter, Facebook? Do you have a website? And when I do start practicing acupuncture, I'll definitely have a web page and uh, um, be advertising that way since um, uh, that's how you communicate now. Do you actively receive acupuncture yourself? I do. I do actively receive acupuncture. I usually have to volunteer for it. Um, When I would go up uh, every few weeks to Harvard, um, I would volunteer for them to demonstrate different techniques because I found it so soothing and helpful with headaches and stress and other things um, that uh, every trip I made up to Boston, I always made sure that I got some acupuncture. Well, that was really awesome. And uh, this is part two of my interview with 
Dr. Nancy Medina, where we talk about what just happened, and I probe a little bit further into her background and kind of my observations during the acupuncture procedure, so stay tuned for that part of the interview. Okay, well, that was really cool. Um, as an observer here, I have to say I, f- I feel a healing effect just by being in the room. Um, can't quite verbalize it, but uh, it's almost had a spiritual quality to it, and um, that was really cool. So I'm here with Dr. Medina. We're going to just kind of talk a little bit about what just happened and a little bit more about her. So I noticed during the the session, and you you talked about the chi, which is, I learned, spelled Q-I. Can you tell us a little bit, tell the listeners and myself more about what that really is and, and the best that way that you um, have an understanding of it? Um, yes, so chi is a term used in Asian uh, medicine to describe sort of the healing or the energy healing. It's actually very difficult to describe in Western medicine because we don't have a term for it. It's not a particle that we've named in our physics or chemistry labs yet, Um, but it is sort of an energy flowing channel um, in how it how active it is or how stagnant it is. Um, okay. You know, it, it's weird too, just kind of thinking about what just happened as a therapist, you know, sometimes people, well, not sometimes, oftentimes people will say, well, tell me exactly what I need to do to fix this problem or to change my life or tell me how therapy works. And, you really can't verbalize it, and, and it kind of is making me think a little bit about the the, the chi. Um, I know you just you certainly feel better afterwards, and I've certainly felt a, a healing effect by being part of the just being an observer of the of the procedure. Um, so it's interesting, interesting to think about. What are your thoughts about about that? If you have any you'd like to share about. Um, you know, how everything has to be measured and we need absolutes and that sort of thing. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, I think it signifies how in America we're in our childhood stage where everything has to be concrete. We can't have abstract thought and it be thought to be scientific. Yes, there is a place for scientific measurement and such, but there's also, I think a place for curiosity and for observation and just patience. What was it like? And I, I, I think that is massively uh, correct. And I agree with you. And we need to be more open-minded and think about the big, bigger picture and not be so myopic with, you know, commercialism and, and all that. Um, can you talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about what it was like going through your training after already being a physician at Harvard to learn about this Eastern medicine and, and Eastern acupuncture? What was that whole experience like for you? 
It was very different. I did my residency, my specialty training in family medicine at Mayo Clinic. Everything was evidence-based medicine. Um, so what was, what was the research that supported what I was doing? At Harvard, they had a lot of research that they presented using functional MRIs and ultrasounds um, and showing the activation of different areas that showed there was a change with the acupuncture. However, it's in the infancy stage. So they were, not all studies were able to quantify what they were looking for. Um, But it was very strange. It was like going back to Sunday school in a way where you learned about things that you had to take on faith because you had to first learn it under, uh, to understand it. So I had to first learn the points, learn the different channels. There's over 260 points and the, uh, the channels that coincide with them and then to understand how they work together and then after I did do the year course at Harvard for Physicians, um, I started going back and understanding why they were also making us read the research papers and what those research papers meant for acupuncture today. Um, So it was like being a student again, but being a very young student. So do they have journals of acupuncture that are, I mean, that sounds really probably like, I don't know if it's not scientifically based or with the scientific method, I guess, as you know, the traditional clinical trial kind of model, are there journals and are there, or is it more, you know, kind of, um, gosh, like the karate kid movie comes to mind or something where you, you have a, a leader who's teaching you kind of the, the secrets and the traditions and then, you know, you have a, a um, that sort of way of learning it, or um, I guess how do you juxtapose that with 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 um, the literature? Are there are there liter- Is there literature out there that are like traditional, like the New England Journal of Medicine, so to speak, for arts and sciences such as acupuncture? That is a good analogy. I like to the Karate Kid because that was a lot how I felt the first six months of training where I was just trying to learn the terminology and the geography of the human body um, over again, not in Western medicine way, but in Eastern medicine. Um, And even though they gave us the research papers throughout, I didn't appreciate it until the last three months what they had been teaching us with the research papers. Yes, there have been numerous articles that have been published in uh, journals around the world, uh, the states as well as um, in Asian countries. And if I was a better student, I could tell you exactly which American journals. But there have been a lot of good uh, or acceptable uh, journals uh, when strict scientific method is used um, that have uh, published acupuncture uh, uh, research and results. Um, The VA, for instance, uh, has um, a clinic that is dedicated for veterans um, 
with issues that Western medicine has not been able to help now undergoing Eastern medicine treatment and they record what's happening. They have charts, but it's very different than Western medicine charting. You know, that, that brings to mind the kind of the skeptical, you know, we're in Florida and Jacksonville, Florida and, um, kind of the, the skepticism of, oh, you're going to go to an acupuncturist or, oh, you're going to go to a therapist or, oh, you're like, what, come on, they're just trying to take your money or uh, that's, there's, that stuff doesn't really work. What are your thoughts about that sort of, and doesn't have necessarily have to be in Jacksonville, Florida, but just in general, the kind of skeptics of the old school kind of good old John Wayne types that are like, hey man, like what, real men don't go to therapy or go to no acupuncturist. What are your thoughts about something like that? Actually, that's funny because it was when I was visiting a physician who's a friend in New Mexico, and she was taking care of some Native Americans um, at the government facility, and we were taking care of someone with chronic headaches, and I asked, why didn't we do the standard you know, treatment? She said, or with different like botulism toxin, that type of thing. She said, that's not something that is on the budget. And that was when she was using some acupuncture points with some of her trigger point injections. And I started to think, you know, we, we had trained together at Mayo and I had in 15 years, not thought outside the box um, so yeah, there was some skepticism when I first started the acupuncture course. I wasn't sure I believed it, but part of the reason for taking the acupuncture course was I wanted to understand other healing methods that my patients were trying. So that way I understood how to relate Western medicine, the medicine that I could professionally offer them with the complementary medicine of Eastern medicine. I wasn't sure if at the end of the year I would truly believe acupuncture worked or not. Um, during the beginning months, I did volunteer for several demonstrations, and I it, there was no moment where clarity came, but Throughout the demonstrations, the next day and the next week, there was definitely a change in my demeanor, my energy, my um, frame of mind when dealing with my problems as a wife, mother, physician, daughter, in daily life. I, I want to add a sidebar here that uh, Nancy, Dr. Medina, has the most beautiful... I make up, um, not sure the exact term for that, that I've ever seen in, in a, a really colorful and uh, magnificent collection of, of um, eye products, I guess. Is that what they're called? So, yes, I do collect makeup. I love Kat Von D, Too Faced, Urban Decay, some of the larger um, palettes 
the more artistic palettes. When I was younger, I've always been into art. When I was five, I took up piano and I played classical piano. I played for churches, weddings, funerals, that type of thing. Um, in college, I took up oil painting. And when I had children, I sort of fell away from the creative side um, of my hobbies because everything was about raising the children. And um, so my husband had said, what do you do for you? And I said, well, I do camping. He said, no, that's for your one son. I said, well, I cave. He said, that's for your other son. I said, what about this? He said, that's for your mom. He said, you like art. Why don't you get some makeup? And that started it all. And I now have, instead of a toy room, I have a makeup room. Awesome. That was really an impressive collection. Seriously, I was pretty amazed. Um, and so you just mentioned that you grew up playing piano. Or do you still play? And, and um, you know, you are you classically trained in piano? I don't know a lot about it, but uh, do you, how often are you playing piano these days? I am classically trained in piano, and actually one of my best piano teachers, I don't know if he's still around, was off of Penman Road, a little older gentleman who was so strict. You, he had two grand pianos in his uh, music uh, room, and only his best students could play the grand, grand piano, um, which my brother was one, and um, but I never achieved the level that, uh, even though I was advanced, I was never perfect enough to play that piano, but I was proud of my brother who did. I still do play. Uh, I play for church. My, my dad had a church. He just resigned or retired um, a few months ago, but up until he retired, I would play when the organist wasn't there or during Christmas. My favorite uh, things to play on the piano are Christmas carols. I don't know why, but I love classical as well. I, I, that's awesome. I I played very briefly as a child, and um, I have to was not very good, and actually I felt like it was punishment. But that's that, that's for a different episode, I guess. <laughs> My fingers didn't seem to want to like make those stretch, you know. Um, so eventually, my parents bought one of those computers that you put on the piano and it played it itself. Um, let's see, what's going on? Oh, so I saw. I was looking over your 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 CV, your background, um, and you played varsity sports. I, were you on? Um, I want to say, were you on crew, or what was the official title of what you did? And um, and varsity sports. So in college, um, I saw some people rowing on the water. I had been a varsity swimmer in high school, and um, I missed the water. So I went all five foot of me to go join crew because I wanted to be a rower. And the coach at the time said, oh, yeah, we need a coxswain, too. Can you do that? I said, sure, as long as I can row. About three months later, I figured out that coxswains never row. We just direct others how to row. But I was so in love with the water and with the sport that I continued it through college. Um, so um, in college, I, did, I was a coxswain for men's crew, uh, which meant I would uh, feel the way the boat was moving and tell them which side needed to do what um, and how to make the boat flow smoothly through the water. 
Um, it wasn't about power. It was about working together, um, which I really enjoyed when the smaller guys always won. Does that have anything to do with your uh, decision to live near the river? Do you still go out on on a boat? Do you have a um, none of the official term for the, one of these types of boats? A shell. No, I don't still go out on the shell because I, now I have children and uh, crew takes about the two to three hours a day to maintain the equipment, to get out to the river and participate in the sport. Um, I enjoy going over the Matthews every morning when I drive my son to Stanton, though, and looking for the JU crew members uh, in their shells going under the Matthews Bridge. Um, it's very peaceful. As far as living near the river, I used to be into bird watching when I lived in Central America, and that's why I picked a house not on the river, but across the street from the river, um, because I had more species. I had the water species of birds as well as the land species, so I had the owls as well as the kingfishers. Cool. That's awesome. How did you guys do with the, uh, I see your power, you know, is on did, with the hurricane, with Hurricane Irma. Mm-hmm. Did you have any destruction or any of your neighbors damage or your, anything happened to you guys? Or All my neighbors' docks were destroyed. The water came up and to their back porches. Some of them had a little bit of interior damage. Um, all the pools had to be drained and cleaned out because of the contamination. Um, My house, uh, since I live across from the river, it was a very economical choice because um, all I had was some wind damage with the shingles and the siding. Um, But other than that, uh, we we lost electricity for a few days, but I uh, bunked up with my parents who had a generator. And so um, I felt as though we did very well. Um, Again, this is coming from someone who thinks Boy Scout camping is fun. I do want to give a shout out to your husband, uh, who I met earlier. He seems like a very nice guy for his for his service as a police officer. I'm sure that he had to put in a lot of extra hours for the hurricane. Um, yes, during the hurricane, JSO, since Jacksonville Sheriff's Office has so many, uh, or not really so many, they had more than the beaches has of law enforcement. Um, they loaned uh, in the beaches was under more stress. They loaned JSO um, out to the beaches to help with uh, managing the stress of the hurricane. He ended up working um, probably about 60 extra hours of overtime. Um, And actually, when he would come home, I would do acupuncture, focusing on his immune and his uh, uh, oketsu, so that way... um, his exhaustion wouldn't lead to illness or mistakes later on. You know, earlier in the, in the podcast and interview, you were doing an assessment on the subject and you mentioned, um, adrenal exhaustion. Um, and I, I know just a little bit about it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts more about that as it has to do. You, you, you were talking about, you know, a lot of your female um, patients that are, you know, working, you know, nonstop and raising children, and it leads to this adrenal fatigue kind of syndrome, and you're assessing for that. Can you tell us, our listeners, a little bit more uh, in depth about about that and how you address that and, and that sort of thing? 
Sure. Um, so when I, I always start from the Hara because when you're a beginning pro, uh, acupuncturist, uh, doing pulse diagnosis and tongue diagnosis is a little bit more difficult. And about 10 to 20 years after seeing that many tongues and pulses, I'll be able to better correlate that. But right now, I palpate a point on the abdomen, and it reflects what point I should treat. I then go to the treatment point. I press on the treatment point, And if the abdomen no longer hurts, where I was pressing or feels uncomfortable, I know I have treated the right point. Um, so the hara is divided up into oketsu, immune, and adrenal. Women nowadays, um, we had a double-edged sword last century when we did our equal rights for women. I am Hispanic, so I've seen both sides. Um, but because so many women have so many responsibilities from switching from being a mother to a wife to a professional, an attorney, a teacher, what have you, um, back to mommy again. Um, it takes a lot of energy, and I've noticed a lot of uh, professional women have adrenal, what Chinese medicine refers to as adrenal exhaustion. Um, where um, uh, the body is stressed for so long that it doesn't have time to relax. So um, with the previous patient, as she was a female, had two, one or two children, I can't remember now, um, two children, and um, was also a professional that I respect greatly, I knew her job had a lot of responsibilities, and her family did too, so I was expecting to find the adrenals positive, and I did, so, um, but it's, it's hard to explain more than that at my level, um, there, there are a lot, they go into it a lot deeper during the training uh, about adrenal exhaustion, visceroptosis, and other things that um, uh, women uh, who are um, older than their 20s and 30s may start to experience. That's a good answer. I, I'm familiar with my used to be pretty hardcore sports background, but as I'm getting older and slower and all those things, I'm not quite at that level that I was before the, this um, adrenal, I guess, cortisol connection where athletes who overtrain, I guess the cortisol level gets, gets really high and then, and, and it causes a, a, an insufficiency in the adrenal gland. That's, that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, the adrenal, it's ironic that in Western medicine, we also have adrenal syndromes that we say may lead to different things. Um, but it's actually a different approach than the adrenal, uh, overload that we talk about in Eastern medicine. Um, both of them correlate to cortisol um, and the fact that if you have too many stimulations, too many cortisol, your immune system starts to weaken, your other systems start to weaken, and you start to have more injuries and illness and infection. Um, but that actually is an interesting part of Eastern and Western medicine. Uh, 
Um, for instance, so we don't understand completely how Eastern medicine works. Um, thousands of years ago in the Han Dynasty, they talked about the kidney meridian being uh, uh, a treatment for anemia. And if you would have talked to Americans before the 1970s, they would have said, what does kidneys have to do with, uh, with blood production? And then we found this hormone from the kidneys in the last few decades that does stimulate the bone marrow to make blood. Um, and so that, I think, we'll find in the future as we find out more about hormone stimulators and other things, how the seemingly opposite or different organ systems do correlate with um, Western medicine. So if somebody's thinking, hey, I'm, man, this sounds kind of interesting. It's, I'm going to try something new. Um, what's kind of the protocol or the number of treatments or that sort of thing? What would they expect if they go to end for acupuncture? Um, that is a good question. Um, as we've learned in America, everybody is an individual and requires their own type of treatment. Um, so for the most part, many things, um, the first few weeks, you would probably go in for two to three treatments a week for a few weeks. Then you would go down to one treatment a week um, for several weeks and then every other week um, and then as needed. Um, the technique that I practiced uh, previous with the previous patient was just using needles. However, um, if there is a chronic condition that you are treating, we use magnets and needles on tape. Um, so that way we tape it to the acupuncture point and the patient taps on the point several times throughout the day to activate the channel. Um, and so there are different techniques to do when you're getting fr more frequent uh, treatments. Um, How about if it, you know, for those of us, myself included, um, believe it or not, myself included, who are self-conscious of our bodies, so like I need to take off my shirt or, you know, you ungown, uh, so to speak, but they're shy or embarrassed about, you know, they're modest about them being touched. Um, many suggestions um, to relax them or kind of how, you know, most people deal with that part of it. First, as your friend said in high school and you were giving your first speech, imagine everyone in their underwear. <laughs> yeah. If all else fails, just imagine your practitioner and some grannies. But... Realize where the practitioner is coming from. Yes, in society, we don't touch other people once you get past a certain age. But in medicine, we revert to the three- to four-year-old age where we touch things to understand. Um, so understand that if you look at your practitioner as a three-year-old who is learning to put something together or make something with Play-Doh, they're not judging whether you've got a body that belongs on Vogue versus a 
body that you wouldn't show your mother. We we don't look at things in that view. It's we look at things in in the the in Western medicine, we're looking at it in muscles, organs, and such. In Eastern medicine, we look at it with palpation. In fact, many of the best acupuncturists in Japan were blind, um, and so they felt the points that they were treating. They didn't even need to see it. Um, because I'm just starting, I still need to reference my Western medicine anatomy, the internal ankle, the external ankle, the top, the bottom. So I have to see the body parts to know where I'm touching. But there is a time, and it's coming closer, where I will not, someone can come in in a robe or what have you and be clothed, and you can still practice acupuncture through the clothes, though it's more difficult. But there is a, uh, the if you um, have an advanced acupuncturist, they can um, examine and treat through clothing. So is that, you may have already just, just answered this question, but I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about the cultural, I've never been to Japan or China or any of the, those areas, but you know, there's a lot less space and people are more kind of, and in America, we're all about I mean, my big house and my big space. Is there a correlation between that and, and our kind of issue with being touched, you think? I'm not, that's a very good question. Um, So in Asian medicine, they actually went through their own periods where they, you know, you may examine the wrist pulse only, and from the wrist pulse, you had to be able to diagnose the whole body because men and women who were not related were not allowed to be in the same room or converse, that type of thing. Um, So they've gone through their own phase of, um, I would call it medical shyness, um, but um, and until probably the last hundred years, it was that way. And then um, more recently, they have, in acupuncture, become less stringent about um, exposure. Okay, um, I think earlier we were off the air during a break or something when you're doing a pr- the procedure and you mentioned to me about using acupuncture as an adjunct to, you know, like let's say a patient has uh, metastatic cancer or um, they're going through chemotherapy or, you know, even with a terminal illness that this often can be used um, as a treatment. Yes. And this is one of the reasons why I did continue with acupuncture after my uh, I received my licensure for acupuncture. Um, a good clinician doesn't just say this is the only answer and the only way it can be. A good clinician looks at what the treatment does to the person and says, how can I make the treatment less damaging so the patient can receive more treatment. So in some cultures, acupuncture may be the treatment for many illnesses. In our culture, though, we have Western medicine. So I still advocate for um, the traditional Western medicine. But I say, in addition, 
for instance, with chemotherapy, um, patients are limited of what dose they can do in chemotherapy based on their immune system, their nausea, their vomiting, their weight loss, things to that effect. And those are places that acupuncture could help because it does improve a person's endurance of these types of things. And in um, mood disorders, um, I would love to say we have done great about mood disorders, but as a family physician, we have done awful. Um, People are afraid to say, hey, I have a mood disorder. People are afraid to go pick up their treatment and stay on their treatment. They think treatment is just six weeks, you're finished like an antibiotic. Um, And so I I think acupuncture helps with mood disorders as well. How about with substance abuse, you know, this opioid crisis and, you know, there's all these tragedies you see with drug drug abuse. Is there any, do you know much about that? Has has that been tried? Yes, it has been tried in substance abuse. There's some substances that it seems to do better with treatment, such as opioids, um, but uh, stimulant um, abuse, it doesn't seem to do as good of therapy. Uh, tobacco abuse, it seems to do pretty good therapy. But again, one, fit, one size doesn't fit everyone. The question is, what happened before that the person made that initial decision? And sometimes you never understand what happened before, but through palpation, you may sense there's something else going on, and if you don't address the etiology, you you can put a Band-Aid on, but it's not going to fix it. And did you mention earlier, I've been... I have post-traumatic stress disorder from, from Irma, but uh, that insurance does provide in certain cases that they will reimburse for acupuncture. I believe you, you may have said that off air. I can't remember, though. So, ironically, private insurance, commercial insurance, typically does not pay for acupuncture. However, in some instances, workers' comp, I think, does pay for acupuncture. Um, Western civilization, we say, yes, there's a possibility that it helps, but no, we're not willing to put our dollar behind it. Um, so for fertility treatment, for instance, they won't pay for the acupuncture treatment. However, they will be more gracious in allowing funds for your fertility treatment if you are doing acupuncture at the same time as doing your fertility treatment. Um, so they accept that it is a method that helps, but they don't understand how to bill and collect for it. So I think that's a major issue. Do you know, just, and, and I obviously don't, but perhaps you do, uh, how does one set their fee schedule or what is a standard fee, the going rate in the United States for acupuncture session? I have absolutely no idea. I'm not sure if you do, but I thought I'd throw that out there anyways. Um, that's also a difficult question. It's a provider by provider. Um, my The masters that taught me, I think... It was 110 per session, between 110 and 125 per session, and that was in Boston. Um, so in different states, it varies, and um, different providers have uh, different plans, just like uh, uh, insurance companies, where if you go get 
your preventative or maintenance treatment, that you get a discount in your following year of premiums. So a lot of uh, acupuncture providers, if you get regular acupuncture, charge you less because it's not as difficult to treat once the base has been stabilized. You know, that reminds me too that back in graduate school, one of the few things I remember is they were, they were teaching us about you know becoming a therapist and the mode, which you, I'm sure you as a doctor remember from statistics, which is the most, if you take the number of sessions or visits a patient or a client has, the mode, number of visits for a therapist or a psychotherapist in the United States is the number one. Just thought I'd throw that in there. It's the most, so usually people might come in and try it out and they don't come back. But that is, as a provider, you know, as a clinician, it is a lot of work to do the assessment and to do the psychosocial background. And then, like you're saying, with, you know, um, with acupuncture, I could see where it would match that as well. Any thoughts about that, that being the modal number? Yes. It seems as though I, in Western medicine, I have noticed a lot of patients make first-time visits and are very interested but fail to follow up, whether it's motivation, time, money, or what have you. Um, in the States, we seem to think that medicine is like buying a gallon of milk, where you just go in, you get the gallon, and you have it. But um, you truly need two to three sessions for the provider to understand what's going to be the best way to help you um, because not everybody is the same and history is very, very important as well as gauging your response to previous treatments. So if you don't go back after the treatment, even if the treatment failed, that's still important message or information for the treating provider because they know, okay, if this fails, then not to try this, try something else. Um, so failure is as important as success in treating patients. And of course, I've heard many times, oh, I don't want to go through all that with you again. I don't want to tell my story again. And But you're right, it's very important data. And it almost seems like people are looking, maybe unconsciously, I'm not sure, for a reason not to come back. So um, not sure about that. That's interesting. I think Americans have been probably brought up to think that we are skeptics and there's a conspiracy behind everything and have lost their respect for education and for um, studies in things. And so that if something is published on the Internet, they take that to be as valid as if it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, so I look at sometimes the uh, recommendations made by celebrities being um, as quoted as recommendations being made by the specialist of that area in medicine. Yeah, they, I love these commercials. You know, they have these professional actors that are uh, acting as a patient and they're selling their, their drug and their product, but that may not be a fit neatly into what you just said, but I, I, um, I'm thinking I want to, you know, reach out and give you, uh, an immense thanks from the bottom of my heart. Uh, it was an honor and I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, 
I'm sure I'll have more questions, but uh, for for later episodes. And I, you know, it was really nice of you to do this, and um, I think uh, it was a very educational, eye-opening experience for both me and the subject or the um, patient. And uh, just want to thank you again for for making the the effort to to do this and to share your wisdom and knowledge with us. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, thanks for your open-mindedness. Yeah, and I look forward to future sessions. Thanks so much, Dr. Medina. What an awesome interview. And that's a wrap for episode three. And this is George, and I am out.